0: Twenty One CL Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Education Vanguard, and I'm your host today, Michael Boll. Wonderful to have you here, and thanks for joining us. I was at the 21st Century Learning Conference in Hong Kong and met up with a guy named David Lee, who I'd met about 10 years ago, and I'm excited to bring him on the show today. Design thinking is a popular idea and methodology winding its way across school today. With the idea that the future is more unpredictable now than in the past, design thinking helps us to be more future ready. However, according to David Lee, an elementary STEM and ed tech specialist at Singapore American School, it is our mindset that really plays the largest role in how well we embrace design thinking and other opportunities in our lives. I talked with David about his early roots and the progression of his mindset during his formative years and how that led to his current work in writing of the book, Design Thinking in the Classroom. David Lee, thanks so much for joining me on the program today.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: It's fun to have you here because you, in many ways, are an up-and-coming individual who had, I want to say, like a humble start. Maybe you would describe it that way, a self-described humble start. And now you're at a great point in your career where you're working at Singapore American School and doing some great things in ed tech. And when I read through your stuff, a lot of the feeling I get is that you see that you've really changed your own personal mindset. And I get the feeling that you're hoping that other people will as well let's but let's go back a little bit to the beginning. could you tell us just a, give us a short rundown of where you grew up and how you got into education in the first place
1: yeah um I grew up in Southern California um i my fondest memory um for, with school was in second grade and it was not what I was learning or anything like that it was the teacher um I was extremely shy um, I couldn't look at people in the eye directly um I would rarely talk, uh, and but basically, this t- second grade teacher, um, I was new to the school and just welcomed me with open arms, and he she created a culture in the classroom where a new person comes, they're immediately immediately your best friend, right? Um, and I'd rarely interact like conversation wise, but everyone mm-hmm. just knew that we're like almost a family and. And that really um, affected me, and, and that's basically why I became a teacher was um wow really, just yeah the f- way I felt, even though I, I at the time I just felt inadequate, that was just kind of my mentality um, she made me feel special so mrs. Davison shout out to mrs <laughs> Davison for sure, yeah um, yeah but um but as the years went on, I didn't have off and on I would have teachers like that, but most of the time, no. And, um, I quickly realized like no one really said it to me, but I I knew that I wasn't the most athletic. I I knew I wasn't the smartest problem solving for me was um, very difficult. I would kind of panic when there's situations where I had to actually critically think through something. Um, even like math word problems, I'd kind of like really get nervous, start – my hands would get sweaty and stuff because it wasn't just the equation. I had to kind of think through, l- think about the context and all that stuff. So right. um, my confidence level was really low. And so when, um, when, you, when
0: you talk about that confidence level, did that is that something that's shifted more recently or – I mean it didn't shift just in second grade or we probably wouldn't be talking about it.
1: I would say um, after co- – so yeah, in high – I would say after high school – um I started to after high school I started to get a little more confident. Um
0: this is when you're at university.
1: Yeah. Okay. And and I got confident in university because um I was able to play the game of university. Uh-huh. Like I was able to get good grades basically. Okay. Um that just um but but I don't think that was really what started everything. What really started was when I actually got a job as an intern at Korea International School. Okay. Um, they didn't have a computer teacher for PK to second, and they just gave gave me that position. Um, had real no experience. I didn't like technology. Like, um, <laughs> I had an EdTech. Wait, uh, you know
0: your, your Twitter handle, of course, is David Lee Ed Tech, but, EdTech. EdTech, uh, yeah. The irony yeah. of it. But go on.
1: <laughs> um, At the time, um, I had a ed tech masters uh, because Cal State Fullerton, like I knew the professor and he was doing that. So he was just like, you know, you should try that, get this masters and I did it. Um, But yeah, at the time I hated tech. Um, I was the guy who'd pay people to do things in high school, (laughs) like burn a CD or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but quickly, I developed my own curriculum using project-based learning. I basically had to survive and well, yeah, if I could
0: let's let, let's kind of go back to that moment then. So you got the job. It's maybe a little strange obviously that you got it because it didn't seem to be your passion at that time. Mm-hmm. But at some point something clicked. In the same way you had that opportunity in say second grade in university, what clicked at Korean International School that gave it I don't know the drive and passion that you have now?
1: Yeah, I, I think what I forgot to mention, um, in middle school, high school, like I realized I'm very passionate about, if I'm passionate about something, I'll work really hard at it. Um, so it, it has to be something with my own interests. What I saw in technology was um, immediately I can sense that uh, the skills that are providing the students, it was empowering to them. They were just constantly mm-hmm. shocked um, at what they were able to do, and I just kept pushing the envelope. And so, um, I became passionate in that position because of that empowerment aspect of it. So I I really got into ed tech for that. Um, because you would get those students who weren't confident in, you know, other other subject areas or just the, the, the project that I would introduce was, it sounded really daunting. And then Mm -hmm. with, you know, scaffolding, they were able to get there, right. Complete the task. So, um, that's really what kind of motivated me and made me want to work hard is seeing that happen. Yeah. The,
0: the reaction of the students is what. Yeah. So absolutely. you th- you talked about scaffolding. Like, how did you know to do scaffolding? I, I'm assuming you did teaching got your teaching credential with your master's in California, right? Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. you, you had some experience. You know, you had the student teach, but how did you know about that scaffolding? Did it just come naturally to you, or were you taught that?
1: No. Um. I I probably was taught it but I just didn't remember or because I would say the first half of that year was just horrible like um, I was constantly stressed out the kids were frustrated um, and basically it was a a way for me to survive like I had to think of a way to make it work and I found that breaking it up into small pieces uh, enabled them to do that and also like just showing them that, you know, operation concepts in one app or program is going to be similar to another program because uh, the user interface um, is constantly being – or the end user is being empathized with these designers or the right. developers, right? So
0: okay.
1: their job is to make it easy and and the apps should be easy to use, so –
0: now, I think you told me you were there, what, seven or eight years, we were talking before the show? Yeah, seven years, yep. Okay, so you're there seven years, and how many years in did you, were you at some point feeling like, okay, I, I got it now, and I have kind of a good teaching toolkit that I can use going forward, and maybe they even dropped the the, the label of intern off of your uh, title?
1: Yeah, after the sec- after the first year, um, I was pretty confident, not in like the toolkits that I had, it's just Whatever the school asked me to do, I felt like I can do it. Not because I was being arrogant or, or, or actually, it's not even confident. I just know that if I was persistent, if I um, worked hard, and also um, put the student first, things mm-hmm. will work out. Okay. Um, but that's you know that's a lot of work. Um, but I just knew that if if I do those things um i'll be somewhat successful so from mm-hmm. there i had you know good amount of confidence so do you, um, do you think you yeah. were using when you
0: talk about putting the student first you i mean that brings up empathy the idea of empathy and yeah. we'll talk in a moment about design thinking but do you think that you had sort of that design thinking concept in your brain already and then there was a bit of a light i guess maybe when you heard about it formally
1: yeah, absolutely. I empathize with the students in everything I do. Like right now, I'm really passionate about designing learning experiences for students. And empathy is a huge part because as a kid, I constantly in my head, I would never say it to the teacher, but I would like, why are we learning this? Um, what is the mm-hmm. point of all this? And um, and now that I'm outside of the education system as in like like the learning part, um, and now I'm in the real world, like, you know, making money and, and that those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm finding that school didn't prepare me for any of that, ah, right. right? So my first year uh, as an intern taught me so much. And I think those are the things that are missing in, in school. Yeah, so it's like the different mindset that you have, um, uh, looking at Problems in a different perspective, that kind of thing. And basically design thinking um, is what I feel is missing in schools. Like those are the things that are really transferable in any task you're given as an adult. Like Mm – you well, know what I mean? Well, let's
0: let's talk about that a bit. So you and I were both when the first time we met was at Yokohama International School in Japan and we went to a conference that doesn't isn't around anymore called Beyond Laptops, which the name itself was a big deal because I know when I first started tech coaching it was like, "Oh, everybody needs laptops. That's that's right. that's going to solve the world." And then it was right. like, "Okay, it didn't solve the world. Now what?" Yeah. And and that's when we were exposed to design thinking. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit about when you went through that experience, what your thoughts were maybe when you first encountered design thinking, and then what your thoughts were when you went back home and
1: had a moment to digest it. Um, what, what, when I, when, during that workshop, what hit me the most was this, this is a tool for creative problem solving. Like. Um, the way it was described was like it has strategies for collaboration, working with people. It, it sounded like the perfect tool for what students should be using.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The workshop wasn't ideal for really understanding design thinking because design thinking is pretty complex. But it was a, it was a good start for me, um, learning at least the process. Um, and I immediately tried it in my classroom. Um, it didn't, it, it went okay, but I didn't truly understand what it was. Right. Okay. But, um, following that experimental type of mindset, um, I just tried it basically like a rapid prototype, Learned more about design thinking, tried it again in another project and it just kept growing from there. My knowledge of what design thinking was kept growing. Um, so yeah. What was the question?
0: Well, let's fast forward a bit, actually, to today the yeah. last year or so. So you just recently finished writing the book Design Thinking in the Classroom. And I like the subtitle because it's Easy to Use Teaching Tools to Foster Creativity, Encourage Innovation, and Unleash Potential in Every Student. It's like, wow, it can do all that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, so obviously you've had a lot of deep thoughts about it and use of it, or you wouldn't be able to write, the, write a book about it. And right. for those that maybe aren't familiar with it, what is, can you just sort of sum up what design thinking is, and then I can ask you some questions about, like, what's it look like in a classroom?
1: Okay, yeah, it's so it's a it's a toolkit for students to use um, uh, For creative problem-solving so any real-world experience that needs to be solved or Improved mm-hmm. they can use this toolkit this toolkit consists of yes the process, but it's also a set of mindsets um, I would say the mindsets is the most important part because it creates the culture so um, in our, in my past school, KIS, um, that mm-hmm. was a huge, there was a huge emphasis on the mindsets because, um, if you, if you implement design thinking just as a process, it just becomes another design process that everyone else uses. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to, the students are not going to produce creative work and it's because of the environment they're in. Once you teach the mindsets, you teach them the importance of these mindsets and model it yourself, like I lived design thinking, um, that uh, design thinking, the use of design thinking becomes more effective.
0: So, uh, you know, that's an interesting point because I haven't often heard that put together. You're talking about, I think, with a Carol's Weck or whatever that does, does fixed versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you saying you should start at that point? In order to be more successful with the use of design thinking to to get kids into a growth mindset?
1: I'd probably do the same uh, at the same time. So, yeah, if you have a design thinking project, have them go through the process. But um, in these different phases, you would stop and do these mini lessons about mindsets. Uh, And when you see someone actually modeling, you just stop the class and talk about what just happened and how productive that was. Uh, so okay. at the same time
0: so in a sense it's like they may come up with an idea uh, and you might say yeah that's great but let's go bigger let's have a growth look at this let's change a more significant portion of whatever the problem is rather than just fixing a small part absolutely okay yeah. i see so what would do you so you work as a technology integrator coach and are you at elementary or middle school elementary right? oh you're at elementary okay yeah. which is great because Elementary kids can do anything because they believe mm-hmm. in imagination and in magic. Yeah. So, like, what would what's a lesson or a, would that be, would be interesting or something you could talk about maybe that you really thought was great that shows the use of design thinking?
1: Um, yeah. In a in a innovative culture, you need to defer judgment. That's one of the design thinking principles. of David Kelly, um, the person who popularized the concept. Uh, yeah, you need to defer judgment. You need. Um, Like, for example, as teachers, when you're in a meeting and everyone's quiet and they're kind of scared to share their ideas, it's because they're judging their own ideas like, oh, that's not a good idea and not sharing. Sure. Or you just feel like everyone else is going to judge you and say, oh, that's ridiculous or something like that. Right. Um, We we do a activity called word ball. Basically, you pass this ball around. Um, The first person says a word like lion. And then the next person will say immediately a word they think of when they hear the word lion. So roar. Sure. Um, and you go through this and you go as fast as possible until you have everyone participate. But the idea is you take you whatever you hear, you just take it, you accept it, and then you use that idea to say a new idea. Right. So mm-hmm. someone's randomly going to say pizza. OK. OK. Um, But you want them to just blurt out whatever they're thinking. You want that type of culture. You don't want a a student to kind of um, – like kind of judging their own ideas. No, that's not good. That's not good. You just want them to blurt it out and just go really quick. Um, And you don't want the rest of the students like shouting, what? That doesn't even make sense, that kind of thing, right? So um, I found that word ball is definitely a a fun activity to just show that – don't judge ideas build upon the ideas of others that kind of thing
0: okay so maybe we go a little bit to the the writing of the book tell us like how did you end up writing a book and how were you able to write uh, over you know about 200 pages in i think i like, did the calculation 150 days or so so you know that's it's more than a page a day as you, as you might know and that's so it's pretty quick how were you? How did you get into the idea, or how did you get the opportunity? I guess to write a book, and how did you get it done so fast?
1: Um, so, so uh, yeah, so, um, last year I was asked by a publishing company to write the book. That's how it all started. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I hate writing. Um, the reason why I make videos is because the scripts are shorter, ah. right? I didn't. I hate. Writing blogs because the blog posts that I've seen are so long. Um, I didn't do well. The only
0: thing easier, by the way, is podcasts where you just ask people questions. But but (laughs) go on,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I didn't do well in write um, in writing um, during my school years, so I hated writing. But I knew that this was a great opportunity. I just immediately Mm -hmm. just said yes, and then I I said I'll worry about it when I have time. And then and then the time came where I okay I had to start what really helped for me was i was live, i was i was modeling and teaching and living design thinking so i i felt mm-hmm. like i had mm-hmm. all the mindsets okay um i had practical optimism i didn't just sign up and say oh yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna happen somehow right um, and also um the time constraint is extremely important so the time constraint, I think, was the biggest thing to motivate me to keep writing as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I dreaded every second of writing the book. Like I constantly asked my wife, "Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this?" Because I didn't enjoy it. Because I was cranking out so much. Information. <laughs> I think every
0: I think every author says that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you said it more than others, but I don't know. But yeah,
1: right. Um, but what's great about yeah, but but I think constri- time constraints is actually you know, helps a lot of people to complete their tasks. Sure. Um, And even in um, – when students use design thinking in the classroom, time constraints is a real thing Mm -hmm. in classrooms. So uh, rapid prototyping, that kind of – that idea um, is definitely beneficial. So.
0: All right, I got a question for you that I was thinking about the other night. Let's say somebody reads your book, right? And then uh, they, they see a friend the next day and they say, Hey, I read this book, and, and they're going to talk about the book. And, and which, what, which do you prefer that they would say? Would, they, would you rather they say, This book is a great guide for design thinking? Or do you wish they'd say, Wow, if I change my mindset, I can use methodologies like design thinking and even more? Wouldn't that be great? Which of the two do you think you were hoping? people will get out of it you i'd probably I
1: mean? say the second
0: okay so you're yeah it's, it's the whole the mindset is the key
1: it is the key um but there are a lot of books about design thinking um mm. that i've read and but a lot of it is seems to be theoretical i made sure and i, I think i wrote it fast because everything i've done is just in the book like i'm not uh, making up scenarios or anything like i've literally. Mm-hmm tried it on these projects. All the projects that I've listed, I was involved in creating and implementing. So um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would say that that's how um, my book is a diff- little different than other design thinking books, specifically in education. So
0: would you consider it a practical guide to use of design thinking in education?
1: I think so. I mean, cause but, I, I go
0: through it. It's very step by step. It's like, Oh, this is be a very something I wouldn't read once. I'd refer to it over and over for specific things that I needed help with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, and what's great about design thinking is, um, no one's an expert. So I don't consider my an expert. I don't like when people say I'm a design thinking guru. Mm-hmm. Even the people who started design thinking don't, they, they say that it's still new. Like, they're still developing the concepts in their head and improving their practice all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you have, if you're a design thinker, I don't think you ever think of yourself as an expert. You're you have a beginner's mindset. You're constantly wanting to make your practice so much better. Like, um, and I hoped in, in the future I could go back into the design class, into a design class, and keep teaching it because. Yeah, I want to still improve in teaching it and also modeling it. So,
0: sure, no better way, of course, to learn something than teaching, as we know as yeah, educators. Absolutely, but, Dave. We're coming towards the end of our time, and I traditionally ask a, a future-oriented question. And I guess there's two things I could ask. One is, where do you hope to be? What do you hope to be doing or influencing in the next ten years? Or where do you hope education is going to be in the next ten years or so? Which of those two would you would be a hook for you to talk about?
1: Um what I'm okay my goal my goal in as an educator in the future in the way future is to design my own school um oh, okay. that is my goal um uh, currently I'm 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 planning to in the summer work with a school in Indiana uh, a charter school Oh cool and they're starting from scratch and um one of their pillars three pillars um, is design thinking
0: Cool
1: and um, I feel like I'm hoping that schools will move towards what I what I call applied learning practices mm-hmm. so processes mindsets that allow students to learn so more of, about the process right. um, but that also needs to be matched with um, the pedagogy. So more of real-world pedagogy, real-world experiences that um, that simulate the real world, but also develop a culture in that school that allows innovative thinking. So those three things kind of um, working together, nothing's yeah kind of working together, almost like an ecosystem. I'm hoping schools um, go towards more of that route. David Lee, thanks so much
0: for spending some time. It's great to see you or talk with you again. I think we met almost 10 years ago in a restaurant, and here we are almost 10 years or so later getting a chance for you to articulate all your thoughts and ideas. So thanks so much for sharing all that today.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.